Hello, and welcome to the Missionary Disciple Podcast by Catholic Christian Outreach. The aim of this podcast is to inspire, equip, and challenge you, our listener, to be an active and effective evangelist. I'm your host, Gerhard, a missionary here with CCO. We're currently on our summer schedule and aren't producing any new podcast episodes for you. Rather than leaving you shorthanded, we're publishing our series of talks given at a Rise Up conference. This week's talk is titled, A Muslim, a Jew, and a Catholic Walk Into a Bar, by Father Deacon Andrew Bennett. If you have any questions about evangelization, you can email us at podcast at cco.ca. All right, let's dive into the talk. So first things first, uh, this is a de facto Byzantine session. Um, As Byzantines, we have uh, different greetings through the year, different times of the year. The standard greeting is uh, glory to Jesus Christ, and then you apply glory forever. But since we're in the Christmas season, for us, the Christmas season lasts until February 2nd, the feast of the presentation of our Lord. The greeting during the Christmas season is Christ is born, and then you reply, glorify him. Christ is born. Glorify him. Oh, very good. Make very good Byzantines. Um, So my talk today is essentially, I think probably like a lot of the other workshops, about apologetics. How do you live your faith? How do you proclaim your faith in the world? And I want to speak to you this morning, and this is going to be a bit interactive. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I hope you'll respond. Otherwise, my talk is going to be very boring. Um, So I want to talk today about how do we live our faith when we encounter non-Christians? Whether these people are our friends, maybe they're in our family, their colleagues, how do we authentically live our Catholic faith uh, when we encounter, build friendships, work with non-Christians? How do we demonstrate uh, charity towards them? So the questions that I'm going to explore this morning uh, include, how do I live my faith in relationship with my non-Christian friends? How do I nurture non-Christian friendships? And then finally, how do I respect my friend's non-Christian faith, yet bring Christ to them? How do I evangelize? Um, So firstly, I want to lay some foundations. Uh, So first of all, um, we need to play around with a couple of terms that we see increasingly discussed in our society. Diversity and pluralism. Now, Diversity is something, and then it's also not something. And the same thing with pluralism. So, uh, can someone give me a definition of what is diversity? Just throw up your hand. What is diversity? Okay, in the red, the red shirt. Lots of different kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. <laughs> well, maybe confine it to when we're talking about people. <laughs> yes. Yes, on the end there. Right, so different ethnic groups, different backgrounds. Anyone else? I saw another hand. Oh, yes. I would like to say culture, Right, so the, the opposite of or homogeneity, we could say. Right. So uh, that's very good. So you've got a very good understanding of diversity. Diversity is essentially a fact in Canada. I mean, this room is a demonstration of diversity. We are all Catholics, uh, but we come from different cultural backgrounds. We come from different parts of the country and so forth. 
Um, so there is diversity. Diversity is, is a fact. You see it where you go. Um, however, often in our society today, we're told diversity is something else. Diversity is about, is about certain lifestyles. It's about certain opinions. And if you don't accept that, then somehow you're anathema. You, you don't really, you're not fitting in with the spirit of the age. So I'm glad that all of us, I think, have this understanding that diversity is just kind of a demographic reality in our country. Okay, now what about pluralism? What is pluralism? How would you define pluralism? Anyone? Sister? Oh, very good. Multiple uh, potentially conflicting realities trying to be together at, at the same time. I think that's an excellent definition. Pluralism is a context. Um, pluralism is something that gets built up. Um, again, we've got, I think, some difference in understandings between what pluralism is these days. But I think we can define it for the purposes of our time together this morning, that pluralism is when you have many different perspectives, points of view, ideologies, religious traditions, belief systems that exist next to one another in a particular place. Uh, at Cardis, where I work, we talk a lot about our common life. We try to eschew talk about society because sometimes we kind of create society into this kind of depersonalized thing that we all pay homage to in some idolatrous fashion. So let's talk about our common life. And one thing we need to focus on when we're looking at how do we engage with non-Christians is how do we live together and share a common life as people living in this place, Canada, Ottawa, wherever we're from, how do we live together with people who are different from us, who have different belief systems, often radically different belief systems. Sometimes there's some sharp edges. Now, the spirit of the age would tell us, well, we all have to go along and to get along. We have to be polite. We have to round out those sharp edges and just be nice to one another. Well, that's not honest. In engaging one another, we have to respect difference. And we have to understand why there is difference. And that difference is not a bad thing. If we're going to live together, if we're going to have a common life together, we need to be able to live our lives authentically, live our faith authentically. And for those of us as Catholics, we need to live our Catholic faith. So I want to, that's sort of the backdrop for the, the discussion this morning. So I want to start off with uh, three common errors. It's kind of my little, own little syllabus of errors. Uh, three common errors that many people, including Catholics and other Christians, make when understanding the relationship between Christianity and different faiths. And then I'm going to move on to uh, sort of open that up a little bit. The first error. Raise your hands if you've heard this one. At their foundation, all religions are essentially the same. Yeah, pretty common. Uh, those of you are all, many of you are obviously still at university, so that's a, that's a favorite uh, on campuses. So at their foundations, all religions are essentially the same. Well, this is simply untrue. Someone who makes such a statement is either, one, ignorant of what different religions believe, two, intellectually irresponsible in understanding the fundamental differences in teaching and doctrine of different faiths, or three, 
is morally irresponsible in being indifferent to these different teachings. Now, Christianity uh, teaches many things that no other religion teaches. Uh, some of what Christianity teaches directly contradict other religions. So, for example, God becomes man in the person of Jesus Christ, the Incarnation. He dies a human death on the cross for humanity's salvation. Our Lord rises a bodily resurrection from the dead on the third day. And we confess, as we proclaim the creed, every time we proclaim the creed, that we confess the resurrection of the dead. This idea that our, there will be resurrected bodies. Now, these truths, which are at the core of our, of our Catholic faith, go fundamentally against what is taught by Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Jainism, Zoroastrianism, the vast majority of pagan indigenous beliefs throughout the world, and certainly secular humanism. So it's simply not true to say that at the root all religions are essentially the same. This argument is essentially relativistic. What, does, what do I mean when I'm, when I'm saying something is relativistic? What is relativism? Can anyone give me a definition of relativism? Yes. Sure. Right. So your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. The go along to get along philosophy. Right. So again, this argument is, is fundamentally relativistic. So we have to ask, if Christianity isn't true and is essentially the same at its root as other different religions, then why be a Christian? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves, and we have to pose back to people who would articulate that all foundation, at their foundations all religions are fundamentally the same. The second error is essentially a version of the first error, and it's the following. Each religion is a different path to seeking God. God has given us a multiplicity of religious faiths, that are culturally specific so that we may each find him in our own way. How many of you have heard that one? Yeah, it's also a, one of the favorite sort of old chestnuts on campuses these days. Well, eh, wrong. Um, other faiths may be a path to seeking God, such as Buddhism. But Christianity is, as Peter Kreeft, great theologian and apologist, states, and he states, Christianity is not a system of man's search for God, but a story of God's search for man. True religion, and this is Kreeft continuing, true religion is not like a cloud of incense wafting up from special spirits into the nostrils of awaiting God, but rather true religion is like a father's hand thrust downward to rescue the fallen. So again, Christianity is not a system of man's search for God, but a story of God's search for man. Secondly, as part of this, combating this second error, that each religion is a different path, in claiming that Christianity is true, we're not being imperialistic. People will often come back and say, well, you're being very judgmental of other faiths, or you're being imperialistic, you're trying to lord it over other faiths. Well, that's not true either. We do not confess Christ, one in the most holy trinity, simply because we want to, 
or because we invented this faith. We confess this faith because Christ taught it. It isn't our way, it's His way. In following Him, we are simply being faithful. The third error. The third error is my particular favorite. Um, It's the so-called golden rule error. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's found in all religious faiths and in writings such as the Sermon on the Mount, in the Hindu Bhagavad Gita, in Confucius's The Analects, and in the Buddha's Dhammapada. So, love your neighbor as yourself. Everyone believes that. Yes, it's true. One can find in many different faiths an injunction to love one's neighbor as oneself. But that's ethics, not religion. A similar ethic can be found in Plato and in modern secular humanism. Everyone has an ethic of some sort. It might be a faulty ethic, but everyone has an ethic. Not everyone has religious faith. An atheist is not religious because he has ethics. If you told him that, he'd be quite insulted. (laughs) No, the Catholic faith is much more than ethics. And the social teachings of the church around the nature of the human person, around the whole question of human dignity, would be rendered empty of content without the incarnation, without the resurrection, and the call by Christ to spread the gospel to all peoples. We have social teaching in the church because of Christ, because of the mystery of salvation. So, to sum up, moving off our focus on error, because I don't want that to be the focus today, but it's good to lay our, lay our groundwork. As we all confess, the fullness of truth, capital T, is in the Catholic faith, as given by our Lord to the apostles, confirmed through the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the birth of the church, proclaimed through the apostles' teaching, and bequeathed to all of us through an unbroken line of apostolic succession through the bishops of the church who maintain and uphold the apostolic preaching. So let us always remember, especially when we're encountering people of different faiths, that the truth that we profess is not an abstract set of philosophies or philosophical propositions that evolve and adapt over time and that are dependent on historical context or cultural context. No. Truth is a person. Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, the God-man, the Savior of the world, one in the most holy trinity. So it might be worthwhile, before I move on to talking about how to engage people of different faiths in an honest and authentic manner, it might be worthwhile at this point to pause and consider how we might rank various Christian traditions and non-Christian faiths to the Catholic faith based on how much of the fullness of truth they teach. Because there are elements of truth in different faiths, but not the fullness of truth, since the fullness of truth is to be found in Christ as professed to the Catholic Church. So, in terms of understanding truth, Catholicism is first, along with the Eastern Orthodox and the Oriental Orthodox churches, which are also apostolic, we are equals except for their different understanding of papal authority. 
So that is essentially what continues to separate us in schism with the Eastern Orthodox and the Oriental Orthodox churches. We've come a very long way, especially in the last 50 years. But the question of papal authority is, is still what separates us. We recognize each other's episcopacy, each other's orders, each other's sacraments. I'm a member of an Orthodox church in communion with Rome. So the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church is an Orthodox church, as our patriarch is never tired of saying, but we accept papal authority. So that's the difference. We're often derided <clears throat> as uniates, that we're somehow sellouts. We've sold out orthodoxy. Well, if it means to be a Greek Catholic means to promote unity and to heal the schism, call me a uniate. <laughs> Happy to wear it. <clears throat> After Catholicism and, and Orthodox, we have Protestantism and other separated brethren, members of ecclesial communities who adhere to the essentials of the Nicene faith as revealed in Holy Scripture. Next in the list, in the ranking, Orthodox Judaism, which worships the same God as we do, but not through Christ. Second Vatican Council was very clear and said that spiritually, as Christians, we are Jews. We confess monotheism, an ethical monotheism. We understand law, covenant, prophecy, and so forth. But we profess Christ. Next in the ranking, Islam, which is probably the greatest of the theistic heresies. Islam uh, denies the resurrection, denies the incarnation. Um, some would say that it's Arianism, one of the most popular of the Christological heresies, that it's sort of Arianism run amok. Um, that there's this, uh, an understanding in Islam, of course, that Christ was simply uh, a prophet of some form. But they do show reverence for Christ. They do show reverence for the mother of God, for John the Baptist. And you can find that certainly in, in the Quran. Next, we would say Sikhism. Sikhism is an ethical monotheism, like Islam and Christianity and Judaism. But it has characteristics coming out of Hindu belief, such as a belief in reincarnation. Next, we would have Hinduism, a mystical pantheism. So there's still a conception of divine, of God. Next, we would have Buddhism, a pantheism without a conception of God. Then we would have kind of grouped together, eighth on the list, modern Judaism, Unitarianism, Confucianism, and secular humanism, none of which have any form of mysticism or supernatural religion, only ethics. After that, we would say idolatry. And then finally, after that, if we dare name it, Satanism. So, let's come back to our topic of the day. I thought it was kind of interesting that it's a, a Muslim, a Catholic, and a Jew walk into a bar. I'm interested to see how they negotiate what they're going to order in the bar. Um, anyhow, uh, <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. So what are five essential principles to encountering, living with, and befriending people of other faiths? Because having established, as I just did through that ranking of, of the fullness of faith, we have to understand that, I would say, humbly. Understand it, understand what it means, but to understand it humbly. We shouldn't go up to a Buddhist and say, oh yeah, you're number seventh. <laughs> 
on the list of how much truth you have. Not the right approach. Uh, but I did that just to have a, some sort of perspective in mind. Okay, first essential principle to encountering, living with, and befriending people of other faiths. Be authentically and integrally Catholic. Live a Catholic life and let others encounter what that means. Reach out to your friends of other traditions. Let them see what your Catholic life is like. Invite them to your home. Let them see how you and your family or you and your friends live a Catholic life. Invite them perhaps to come inside your church. Maybe they won't attend a liturgy, but they just to see what's inside the church. Let them have some understanding of what your prayer life is like. Be open about that. Humbly. For yourself, this is going to come as no surprise. It's the, essentials, it's the essential bedrock of everything we do as Catholics. Have an active prayer life and an active liturgical life. Without an active prayer life and an active liturgical life, you can't do very much. Uh, but one thing you certainly cannot do is be able to speak to people of other faiths if you don't know your own faith well enough. An active prayer life and an active liturgical life is invaluable in forming your faith and helping you to confess it. Say what you believe. One of our great characteristics as Canadians, national characteristics, is that we're very polite. But sometimes that can be a bit of a vice as well. If by being polite we feel we shouldn't offend anyone by saying what we actually believe. That's not being honest. Be honest about what you believe as a Catholic when someone asks you. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, one of my favorite Orthodox theologians, Peter Buteneff, uh, Professor Buteneff teaches at St. Vladimir's Seminary in New York. Uh, he's an excellent writer. Uh, he wrote a very impressive book called uh, Sweeter Than Honey, Orthodox Thinking on Dogma and Truth, where he explores a lot of these themes. And he was invited one time to go to um, a conservative synagogue in Manhattan. And they, the synagogue was having a series of presentations on different traditions, different religious beliefs. And Peter Boutenoff recounts this in a podcast he did for Ancient Faith Radio, which is a very good online uh, radio, orthodox uh, radio. And he said, um, I was invited up to the Bima. If any of you have been to a synagogue, the Bima is the place where the Torah is read. And this was after, after the, the uh, Saturday Sabbath liturgy. And he walked up and he began his presentation. He said, my name's uh, Professor Peter Boutenoff. I'm a professor of theology at St. Vladimir's Orthodox Seminary. I'm an Orthodox Christian. And that means that I believe that Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God. He is the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, one God in three persons. He is the promised Messiah, spoken of by the prophets, and he is the Savior of the world, and that applies to all of you. <laughs> and afterwards, he said the number of members of that Jewish congregation who came up to him and said, thank you. Thank you for being honest about what you believe as a Christian. We've had Christians in here before, we didn't know what they believed. So be authentic about what you believe. Learn and grow in your faith. Always learn. Develop your faith. It goes without saying you should be reading scripture every day and praying every day. But find good texts from within the tradition. Um, 
develop a good apologetic, read good apologetical texts. And I've got four books here uh, that I'm going to start passing around. Um, there are a lot of great books out there, from the earliest church fathers right down to today's theologians. But these are four of my favorites, and they're four starters. You could talk to a bunch of other people, and they would give you four other books. But these are my four favorite kind of starter books, not only for developing an effective apologetic, but for the basis of an essentially sound inner life. Um, in the East, we talk a lot about the inner life, so that you can be a good apologist. So I'm going to start passing these around in no particular order, although I just put that one on the bottom. Um, <laughs> we have Peter Kraft's Fundamentals of the Faith, Essays in Christian Apologetics, Essential Reading. So I'm going to start passing these down, maybe. So just pass them around. If they can get to the back table by the end, that'd be great. Next, I've given this book out to many, many people. Um, this is written by a professor of philosophy at the University of Texas at Austin. You don't immediately think, ah, Catholic Orthodoxy. But he is a wonderful author. Uh, he's a Thomist. Um, and for those of you who don't know what a Thomist is, shame on you. Go and, <laughs> go and speak to a Dominican. So this is um, Jay Budzeshevsky. And unfortunately, there's a double negative in the title, but that's fine. What We Can't Not Know. And he talks about deep conscience and what we know to be true simply by being human beings. Very good reading for good apologetics. So that's book number two. Letters to a Young Catholic, George Weigel, about what does it mean to live the Catholic life. Fantastic book. A colleague of mine at Curtis, who's one of the leading Calvinist theologians in the United States, James K.A. Smith, was so impressed by this book that he wrote letters to a young Calvinist, inspired by this. Of course, this is the better book. <laughs> Don't tell Jamie that, but this is uh, really essential reading. And then finally, from the patristic tradition, I would be a very bad uh, Byzantine if I didn't give you something from the patristic tradition. This is one of three non-scriptural texts in the Byzantine tradition that has been canonized to be read during the liturgy. This is the Ladder of Divine Ascent by St. John of the Ladder in Latin, Climacus, St. John Climacus, in Greek, Climacos, which means of the ladder. So if you say St. John Climacus of the Ladder, you're just saying of the ladder twice, so don't do that. St. John of the Ladder or St. John Climacus. Um, this is read at every noonday prayer during the weekdays of Lent in the Byzantine tradition. And this was the standard text that was given to every new novice in a monastery when they entered the monastery. It is about acquiring virtue and fighting the passions. Essential for good apologetics. Please don't look at my notes in that book. <laughs> Dealing with my own fallenness and so forth. Um, so the other thing that should be a core element of living your Catholic faith authentically and integrally is convivium and hospitality. As I said, invite people to your home. Have meals with people of different faiths. That's a wonderful way to build trust and friendship. I'm going to give you an example from my own uh, sort of life, and you're going to wave at me if I'm going over time or... Thank you. Um, when I was ambassador for religious freedom, I formed a very good friendship with a gentleman named Balpreet Singh Boparai. Now, Balpreet is a very devout Sikh. 
when you meet Balpreet, there's no question that Balpreet's a Sikh. Um, very big blue turban, long black beard. He'd make a great Franciscan friar of the renewal. Um, and he's, he's a very devout Sikh. And uh, I asked Balpreet about a year into my time as ambassador, you know, Balpreet, I would love to go and visit some of the Sikh Gurdwaras in Brampton and Mississauga to better understand the community because I needed to engage with them about religious freedom, especially where Sikhs are facing persecution overseas. And we went to a number of the Gurdwaras, and uh, he brought with him a colleague from the World Sikh Organization. He works as a lawyer for them. He brought one of his colleagues from Vancouver, and she also works for the same organization. And we went and sat in different Gurdwaras. And every Gurdwara has in its basement or an adjacent hall something called a langar. And a langar is a communal kitchen. And most langars operate 24-7, and they feed anyone who needs a meal. Anyone. Wonderful model for us. Um, and so we were sitting in this langar, and Balpreet's colleague said, oh, you know, we, we, we were talking about sort of interreligious dialogue. And she said, well, you know, we, a group of us meet at a United Church in Vancouver, and we've been meeting at this United Church for many years, people from all different faiths, and we've had long conversations over many, many meals. And, you know, we've just come to the conclusion that we all essentially believe the same thing. So that's one of those errors, right? We all essentially believe the same thing. And it's such a wonderful thing that we came to realize that. And then she turned to Balpreet and she said, Balpreet, would that be, would that be your experience? And Balpreet said, well, no. <laughs> I believe that the path of the gurus is the only true path. And that's truth. And she said, uh, oh, um, ambassador, what, what would you say to that? And I said, well, no, I believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Messiah. He's the objective, universal savior for the whole world, for both of you as well. <laughs> and she said, oh. <laughs> and then Valpreet and I looked at each other and went, ah. <laughs> So even though Valpreet and I fundamentally disagreed on who Jesus Christ is, we were both authentic in our faith. Second principle, seek to understand the other person. Be Christ-like. Um, at Byzantine baptisms, after the child or the adult has been baptized, the godparents and the priest with the baptized process around the baptismal font counterclockwise because the earth revolves on its axis counterclockwise and the font becomes the axis. So the baptism as the axis for the world. So we, we process around the font and we sing, all you who have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ, alleluia. So to be baptized is to bear Christ. To be a Christian is to bear Christ. And of course, we know from the gospel of the holy apostle and evangelist John, that our Lord says, by this men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We are called to love everyone. We are called to love our non-Christian friends. Your goal is not to convert your non-Christian friend. That is not your goal. Your vocation is to be Christ-like. They will see this and they will be drawn to it. I can promise you. This is the basis of every authentic friendship between Christian and non-Christian. Christ. 
And that will be, please God, a means to conversion. Again, humility. Humility and love. If you've got humility and love, doing well. Third principle. Recognize the imago Dei in all people and champion human dignity. Recognize the image and likeness of God in every person. So, profess the incarnation. The early Greeks and the Romans were brought to Christ when they saw how Christians lived their lives. They saw their acts of charity. They saw how we as Christians treated slaves, how we didn't expose our children on the hillside to die. They saw our respect for the dignity of women. Our society needs all of this again today. Others will see how we profess our faith by how we live our faith in the world. Do not be afraid. St. John Paul II told us that. Pope Benedict affirmed that. Pope Francis has affirmed that. Do not be afraid. There are people of other faiths out there who are our allies. Nurture those friendships. See in them that image and likeness of God and work together uh, for the good of, of a common life. And the next step after that, of course, and linked to it is love non-Christians and pray earnestly for them that they might encounter Christ. Especially your non-Christian friends. Pray for them. Fifth and final essential principle. Confess Christ at all times and in all places, everywhere, to everyone, without fear. Confess and live the incarnation. I always like to say to uh, the youth at our church here in Ottawa, matter matters. This stuff matters. We are enfleshed beings. God took on this human flesh in order to save us. We are saved through our bodies. We believe in the resurrection of the body. The body matters. Our society today says the body doesn't matter. We have this false understanding of human dignity that true dignity is when you can end it, when you can end it all. That's not dignity. That's not compassion. So profess the incarnation. Confess and live the resurrection. Shout it from the rooftops if you have to. My final story, and then I'll take some questions if I have some time. I've developed a very uh, close friendship with the rabbi at the Modern Orthodox Synagogue here in town. Remember? Number three on the list. <laughs> uh, rabbi Idan Sher. He's a young rabbi. He succeeded a rabbi who's often been called Canada's rabbi, Rabbi Reuven Bulka. If you've watched the Remembrance Day service from the National War Memorial before, Rabbi Bulka is the rabbi that always offers a prayer from the Jewish tradition. He didn't do it, I think, this year for the first time in a very long time. So um, Idan and I became friends when I took some students from a small liberal arts college I used to teach at, Augustine College here in town. Uh, we've got a couple of alumni here. Oh, very good. Um, so uh, we went to the synagogue because I said to my students, I taught church history, if you want to understand your Christian faith and you want to understand Catholic liturgy, you need to understand how Jews worship. And so we went to a Shabbat service at, at Rabbi Sher's synagogue. And afterwards, he invited us to, they had a, a kiddush, a little meal afterwards. Well, it wasn't a little meal. It was a massive meal. 
It's one thing that Ukrainians and our uh, Galician uh, Jewish elder brothers in the faith have in common. Lots of starch and lots of, lots of food. Um, but we sat there and we had this wonderful fellowship uh, with, with Idan and his people. And afterwards he said, you know, I'd love to just hang out with you and, and chat with you. I said, that'd be great. He said, give me a call after Pesach, after Passover, and we'll go out. I said, oh, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. So after Passover that year, I called him and uh, I said, you know, do you want to do you want to go out? And he said, yeah, that'd be great. He's got a young family. I said, well, you know, let me know what works well for you and your family. He said, well, you know, most evenings sort of after eight o'clock once the kids are down. I said, perfect. So um, I said, what are your restrictions? I mean, he's strictly kosher. He said, well, pretty much anywhere they serve beer, because beer is always kosher unless they put stuff in it, like some of those, you know, cherry, rhubarb, frou-frou beers. But if, as long as it's like standard beer, I can have it. I said, okay, great, we'll go, to a, we'll go to a pub somewhere. He said, my other restriction is that I'm not really into sort of, you know, trance music. So I don't want to go to a, like a club. I said, Rabbi, do I strike you as uh, <laughs> a clubby guy? Anyhow, so we, we went to this great gastro pub on Bank Street here in the Glebe called the Rowan. And so we sit and we had a couple pints and we had a wonderful conversation. And afterwards, uh, as we were leaving, he said, I'd like to do this regularly with you. I said, I would love that as well. Maybe, maybe once a month, he said, oh, I was thinking like every other week. I said, well, I think you should talk to your wife and your family. You probably <laughs> have other responsibilities. He said, yeah, okay. And then he said to me something very profound. He said, you know, Andrew, when you succeed Rabbi Reuven Bulka, you're not just the rabbi for the shul, for the synagogue. You end up becoming the rabbi for the whole community. And he looked at me and he said, I just need a friend. And he gave me this big hug. <laughs> and I said, happy to be your friend, Yidan. Because I'll never ask anything of him, religiously. I don't, I don't need him to be my rabbi, right? Um, so we've had many conversations since that time. But the most profound one, and this is what I'll leave you with, is I was invited to his brother and sister-in-law's home. They live just down the street from each other because they need to be able to walk to the synagogue on, on Shabbat. They don't drive. And so it was he and his wife, Shifra, and their little guy, Shlomo, which is Solomon, uh, and Tal and his wife and their two kids. And then uh, their parents were visiting from Chicago. And so it was a Sabbath, Sabbath dinner. And I said, well, what, what can I bring? He said, bring beer. It's always kosher. So I brought, <laughs> I brought beer. So it was, if you can sort of get in your mind what would be sort of an archetypal big Jewish American family Shabbat dinner. There was a lot of food. I thought we just had sort of one big course, but no, there were three after that. And it was a long meal. We were, we were there for about four and a half, maybe five hours, just chatting with one another, lots of conversation, lots of banter back and forth across the table. But very early on, uh, Idan said, oh, you know, Andrew, he's a, he's a chazan. And a chazan is a cantor in a synagogue. Yeah, like he, he chants. He chants in his church. He's a, he's a chazan. And they said, oh, you're a chazan? Wow, that's really amazing. Well, sing something. <laughs> and I said, uh, oh, I don't think it's really, I, I don't think it's appropriate. And then Idan says, and he chants in English, in Ukrainian, in Greek. I said, okay, okay, Idan. And they said, chant something. Chant something in Greek. I thought, okay. I said, I, no, 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 please, please, chant something in Greek for us. I thought, what do I know in Greek? And so this is what I chanted. 
Christos anesti ek nekron, thanato, thanaton, patisas, ketis entis mnimazin, zoin charisamenos. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling death by death, and to those in the tombs giving life. And they sat there is silence, and they said, that is beautiful. And then we continued to have more conversation, more conversation, and then little Shlomo, he was singing stuff, he's two, and he was chanting stuff from the Shabbat service in Hebrew. And then they said, sing something for us in English. I said, ah, oh, well, I, no, I'm, it's okay. <laughs> no, no, what is the most favorite? Shlomo just sang. What's the most favorite thing you have from your tradition? And I said, oh, well, that would be the Troparion for Pentecost. It's every feast has a hymn. And so the Troparion for Pentecost is my favorite. Sing that. And I said, okay, well, it's, I'll, just be, I'll, be, I'll just sing it very quietly. No, no, <laughs> sing it like you would sing it at church. I said, Okay. <laughs> and so I sang. Blessed are you, O Christ, our God, who revealed the fishermen as most wise by sending them the Holy Spirit. Through them you caught the entire world, loving Master, glory to you. Stunned silence again. And they said, that is one of the most beautiful things we've ever heard. Explain it to us. So, don't be afraid to profess your faith because you might just be evangelizing. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating and review on iTunes as this will help us to reach new people with the gospel. Once again, I'm your host, Gerhard, and you're listening to the Missionary Disciple Podcast by Catholic Christian Outreach. Until next time, God bless.